Tortures in agonizing heat, drug lords wage bloody warfare in the street. Yet another open conflict. Oh, fuck this, get me out of here! Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. I don't know, she's not making any sense. She keeps saying El Diablo vino por ellos. The devil came for them. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Shit, if the Colombians did all this, then why'd they leave their boss Ramon over there hanging Tanner's girlfriend naked on the floor? Wasn't the Colombians. Our friend from the armory. Right. We got a new player in town. Today, as part of our LVRMP series, where we discuss every alien and predator movie released, we'll be discussing Predator 2. Starring Danny Glover. Danny Glover? Captain. Danny and I came up together. Fifteen years on the fucking street. Whoever killed is gonna pay. I'm gonna finish it. Ruben Blades. Whoever did this waited until the last minute and then took out four men armed with machine guns by hand. And then got by us. Maria Conchito Alonso. My god damn it, he saved your personal little war, you know? Bill Paxton. Tanny, what the hell is that thing? I don't know, but you don't buy it in the hardware store. And Gary Boosie. Ten years one of his guys stalked and eliminated an elite special forces crew in Central America. There were two survivors. They indicated that when trapped, the creature activated a self-destruct device that destroyed enough rainforest to cover 300 city blocks. That's right, Lieutenant. Other world life forms. Huh? A fucking alien. Directed by Stephen Hopkins. He's on safari. Lions. The tigers. The bears. Oh my. That's the game, isn't it, Keys? You're the lion. This is his jungle. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Lieutenant, podcasting's my speciality. It's Gally in Glasgow. Maybe I'll get lucky and fall. It's Devlin in London. Loosen your sphincters. It's Patrick in London. Okay, pussy face. It's your move. It's Matt in South Korea. Welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, gang. Indeed, welcome back, Patrick, after a week hiatus on a movie that we shall not name for legal reasons. Hello. How uh, how are you doing? Did you um, did you manage to to you know get into the bosoms of Russ Meyer on uh, on Devlin's double bill episodes? I haven't motivated them yet. No, I haven't had the time to get, get stuck in between. Uh... <laughs> Dev's massive opus. I'm really sorry. Um, I will get there. Work's been a bit busy, and the hiatus was because uh, it was my birthday as well. Yay! Gee, well, happy birthday, Patrick. Happy yes, birthday, of Patrick. What better present could we offer you than, than a 1990 middling sequel? Hey. Those listeners that are, um, you know, been following us from the beginning. I mean, well done for one. Um, will notice that we've actually done Predator Two before. However, we we haven't done it as part of our LVRMP series, which is what this is all about. So we're going to run through every single Alien movie, every single Predator movie, including the ones where they fight. So here we are doing Predator 2. But we are going to call this Predator 2, colon, back in the habit, tangential link, Bill Duke, Predator, done. (laughs) Happy, I walk away. Break the arm walk away <laughs> so that's what we're doing it's funny because you're wearing a vest so it does look like you're full rex quando at the minute i am full rex quando i just left my bandana uh, and my big my big trousers danny glover ran off with them and he's wearing them in this movie <laughs> 
They're so big. Also, can we just talk about the fact that it's supposed to be like 109 degrees in LA and they appear to be made out of wool. God, they look so heavy, don't they? Yeah, he looks like a beige Jim Carrey in the mask. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, you know, Devlin, I think most people know our history. So Matt, Patrick, your history with Predator 2? I think I mentioned on the Predator episode that I believe I watched this one before Predator. And I was trying to think about it last night, and I, I do think it was that way, because I remember the real snippets of this film, which tells me I was a bit younger. I seem to remember watching it like down, maybe with my uncle down in Brighton. I can't remember. But I was aware of watching an adult film. Um, I remember, <laughs> I remember the, the, um, the hairy fanny that Gally mentioned in, in episode three. I, I remember being kind of, maybe a little bit disturbed or I think it was around the time of Braveheart. I think I watched two films really similar time where people, dead bodies were hung up, you know, and and, uh, from a ceiling and kind of made that link there because I was just trying to remember how I remember this film. And right now it's weird. I, I don't think I've seen it for a hell of a long time because I couldn't remember the whole Gary Busey subplot element and the special agent, uh, task force. And, I have no idea when I last saw it, Gally. I watched it a couple of times this week to get ready for you guys and very, I don't know, vague memory of watching it when I was uh, probably far too young, the same as Devlin. And his, uh, was it a VHS you had, Devlin? It was. It was for Christmas when I was seven. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely watched this, this on kind TV, of though. I definitely watched it like a an edited thing. I don't remember the um, voodoo knife going into the chest of that. Um, the that shag. shot was cut. Yeah. But I bet they didn't cut the, the old Velcro patch. <laughs> no, no. That was it. How many more euphemisms? I got, I, I, I want to hear at least five more euphemisms for this by the end of the Soul episode. patch. Yeah. What I, I've got lots. <laughs> Modesty pouch, it's called in the industry. Um, hmm. so when you, when the, the man puts his penis into something, it's called a modesty pouch. And I couldn't hmm. remember the word for it on my last film, Havoc in, in Cardiff <laughs> last year. And I, I wrote an email to the costume department asking for a cock sock. And I got politely <laughs> corrected. In that moment, I couldn't remember what it was called. She makes for an interesting Google if you if you're like clearing your history afterwards. She a porn, uh, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I was really ready for this one as a sequel. Like I was in my life, I was like waiting for this more than any sequel, perhaps. Oh, really? Yeah, and I was just queued up for it. I was totally invested, and maybe ever since then, I feel like that's kind of flavored my perceptions of it um i I wanted another predator film so much that i looked past many of its apparent faults so this was an interesting one to to reappraise Uh, i enjoyed your your early episode on it and i think you know i did i I do like those early episodes because you have a really good to and fro i think you battle a bit more um back in the day there's uh, silence of the lambs and predator i think you have a a nice tussle it's quite good there's more conflict and, and drama in the shows back then i think but um, apart from when we do, you know, apart from when we disagree on something like wholeheartedly, which occasionally happens, but um, I, it was a great discussion, but I did feel like maybe you were a bit harsh. So going going back and seeing if you were harsh or whether it was just my rose tinted glasses was the interesting thing here. Uh, so, yeah, I watch it fairly, fairly often, actually. I watch it every few years. So um, when did you was, first watch it? Sorry, Matt. Probably around... Well, we get we got the VHS probably the year after the cinematic, like the American release. So, 
I'll probably 91, 92 on, on video from the local video shop. Um, With mum and I'm, dad? No, my mum would kindly get me 18 certificates. I don't think she paid too much attention to to that. Um, and uh, as I've said before, like it, it would be like a Sunday morning thing for me usually when mum was busy and dad was out. So uh, I would I would be left to just kind of watch these things. But I, I think they had enough faith in me to just to not not get into ritualistic murders or anything like that. Do you think um like our parents' generation were maybe a little bit caught off guard by just how um how very quickly films became much more graphic and violent <laughs> from like the mid eighties onwards? Like De- definitely, I wasn't allowed to watch Power Rangers. Every now and then, films slipped under the radar like this if they thought they could um. You know, I, I they would watch it with me though. I wouldn't be able to watch it on my own. Right. But even if even if you were, you know, let's take away, you know, the the carpet shot, and then just also <laughs> the language, like watching rewatching this again. I mean, it is it's pretty foul. Owl every mouth, single yeah. every single cast member gets a swear. But I think I again. I think I watched it the edited ITV version or something. Because mm-hmm. that because that, that's normally what would prick prick up my mum and dad's ears they couldn't really care less about gratuitous violence or indeed um ritualistic murders but if someone swears then that is the devil's speech it it was i think i said on alien 3 like i remember saying it's every other word as if to say you know come on Mm. it's an 18 you you can you can watch it but i mean it, it was ridiculous in that film just totally overused and early critics corner but not quite that was one of Ebert's issues with Predator. 2, oh, he doesn't like he doesn't like language. He doesn't like language. He's a, he's a wordsmith, isn't he? You know, I think he feels like uh, that if you're going to use profanity, you have to use profanity, not abuse it. You know, such such uh, such classic lines as "You will drink the black sperm of my vengeance." That's one of his one of, one, of, one of his best. Well, he was uncomfortable <laughs> that it was directed at women, but I I don't really remember too much. That I could quote that was what in this movie? Women. Yeah, not really. No, there's barely any women in it. Hey, you're not my sister. <laughs> hey, yeah, <that's... laughs> so stupid. <laughs> we'll get into it. Oh, just just to recap my history. So Devlin's father, obviously, sit down, son. What's this? Um, for me, this was obviously a mission to watch something and sneak it in. So I watched this at my auntie's with my older cousin, who you know. Would would introduce me to these kind of uh, wonderful treats, and at, at the age where this would absolutely land, and and it did. So that was my history with it, and also it was a rotation on Sky, and I think I mentioned, you know, Predator didn't wasn't on Sky a lot, but Predator Two was on Sky a lot, and I think we we <laughs> talked about it many many times when we've done the cheaper option for Sky. I'm sure. The che- how the cheaper option? I mean, now obviously with the the way streaming goes, you know, you buy you buy a catalog and you get the whole catalog. But back in the day, it's like everything has its own value. So, you know, the difference between Predator and Predator 2, oh, let's get Predator 2, eh? We, we talked about that it's, it's essentially like a rider's situation whereby if you wanted to BBC or, or somebody wanted to license a big hit, the studio would kind of mandate that they take these five loss-making lesser films because you have to try and push them up into the black. And this is from back in the era that... um sequels now are the the cash cow sequels back then were i think there there used to be a calculation i read it in one of one of those like 90s you know hollywood expose 
books, like a, a bi- an autobiography written by a studio executive or a producer where they would say, if you hit two thirds of your earning from a, a primary sequel, you were doing well. Whereas now the expectation is that your sequel is supposed to leapfrog the earnings of the first film. So uh, they didn't put as much stock in sequels back then as, as they do maybe now. You weren't, the budgets wouldn't inflate to the same extent because the returns weren't there. Although interestingly, this this did cost more than hmm. the original Predator, but location will probably have a big part of that. Uh, yeah, I, dare I say the cast will get into it. Um, okay, before we do though, Patrick, we missed you last week. We had to, we, you know, Devlin, a good substitute, but he doesn't have the same. How do we say this? The same wonderful tone. And the, no. the cool embrace of the your... CBBs didn't come calling. Yes. No, no, they didn't. <laughs> Although I doubt they would for a Russ Meyer movie. Unless they do it... Movies? I think that's a cartoon. But unless they got confused, they wouldn't. So, Patrick, would you remind us and the listeners of the many plots of Predator 2? In the not-too-distant future of the events of Predator, we're greeted by a familiar tree-laden sight. But wait! The jungle this time is made of concrete. Danny and Leona are in a gunfight as Colombian and Jamaican drug fiends once again wage war on the sweltering streets of Los Angeles. It's like Dante's hell in the agonizing heat. Who the hell's in charge down there? The cops? Nuh-uh. They're outmanned, outgunned, and incompetent, and seemingly unable to rescue two mi- motorcycle cops caught in the crossfire. But wait! Who's this to the rescue? Is it Duke? No, it's slack-pants-wearing Lieutenant Mike Harrigan. His gun-waving, free-wheeling heroics don't go unnoticed, though. A familiar rasping breath and infrared vision have Harrigan in its sights. As Harrigan tries to figure out who killed the Colombians as they fled the gun shootout, men in suits arrive on the scene. A federal task force under the direction of Special Agent Peter Keyes will be investigating criminal activities involving the trafficking and distribution of controlled substances. In other words... Cutting off Harrigan's dick and shoving it up his ass, as he must cooperate. It could be King Willie and his voodoo ways, couldn't it? Harrigan and Danny watch Leona squeeze new kid Jerry's introduction in the palm of her hands, as the four of them investigate a massacre that interrupted an obligatory naked survivor's screaming orgasm. Jamaicans hung up and skinned on the scene, they have a new player in town. Keys is on sight soon enough and orders them to stand down. Is he really the last person Harrigan wants to fuck with? They certainly need to keep an eye on him. Danny doesn't take Harrigan's heed and wait for him and investigates the scene of the crime alone to find a strange remnant of a weapon. The new player is a predator and has a whole new arsenal and kills Danny off screen. Harrigan continues with his John Wayne attitude and investigates further after the news of Danny's death, confronting Keys, for starters. Stereotypical King Willie appears amidst the smoke and thick accent as he and Harrigan share their information about this new player in town. The Predator duly beheading King Willie and cleaning his skull proudly as its new trophy. But so far, the Predator hasn't approached Harrigan, saving best for last, perhaps? Leona and Jerry ride the most personally armed subway known to man as the predator catches up to them and turns the passengers into a pile of mangled corpses including Jerry he should have accepted the offer of candy Leona however is spared as she is pregnant 
Harrigan takes chase as the Predator is struck by lightning and is led to the slaughterhouse where Key's operation is revealed. It's a fucking alien! It's on safari. Lions, the tigers, bears, oh my. Harrigan is the lion and L.A. is his jungle. Key's operation fails. The Predator is too smart for him. But the lion Harrigan gains one of the Predator's weapons. He yields it and fights the Predator on his own turn. Who will be victorious? And what is the trophy? Oh, very good, Patrick. I mean, that that sounds like a movie that I thought I watched, but it just somehow didn't seem as exciting as the way that you just described it. I don't know why. Listen, can we talk about the Glover in the room? <laughs> what When you have a sequel to Predator, of which we've done Predator now, we've discussed it, we've, we've discussed the things that we enjoyed about it and some of the things that maybe didn't quite work as well. Um, I think we pretty much universally were like, actually, you know what? It's pretty much a, an 80s action classic uh, in every sense of the word. There's a part of me that thinks, where do you go from that? It's a bit like Die Hard, isn't it? If you remember Die Hard 2, Die Harder, it kind of paled in comparison to the first one. And then it took them a third go and they brought McTiernan back. I wonder if you're a studio exec in 89 and you're green light in Predator 2, was this the right choice? King Kong in the city, Godzilla in the city type, you know, you have a, a creature. What do you think? Well, I imagine the pitch meetings were something like, you know, Predator, well, that's the same thing in a city. <laughs> and here's some money and off you go. It, it sort of felt like that. But I think um, Hopkins talked a bit about the look of the urban environment and how the Predator would look against concrete and steel. And it feels a bit childish to me, like simplistic and quite a vacant concept. But as a kid, it made total sense. And it was enough to, to hook me just to see this creature in a new environment um and I, I still stand by some of that predator imagery standing on you know like a gargoyle on the side of a, a building or in silhouette perched on a, a ledge or a rooftop i suppose you could have gone to other hot places you could have done i think somebody mentioned vietnam cambodia i think Busey mentions it mm-hmm. that's where it's been cited um but you could they could have done vegas um arizona uh even we had a, um, I looked up and England had a, um, a 1990 heat wave in Cheltenham. So imagine the Predator <laughs> in Cheltenham. Uh, it only got to like 37 degrees. So I don't know if it's fucking up some jockeys. Ripping through the races. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I don't know. It's a good question, Gal. Like, did you miss like the concept of Arnie and uh, would you have wanted Arnie to come back? Well, I guess that's where I'm driving at, Arna, because the location, I think if we stick to location first... Mm. I, th- I think uh, I read a little bit, did a bit more research and they did script it for New York. And it does, it feels right. like New York would have been the more sensible backdrop for the Predator. Partly because of the, the cityscape, you know, LA is is really sprawling and it's not exactly uh, inundated with high towers. and. But I feel like the heat and that kind of Havana vibe that they managed to get across mm. with the tobacco-y, the yellowy filters and stuff and everything kind of, there's like kind of shots through blinds and things like that. I'm not sure mm. that would have transposed to New York quite so effectively, but I think you're right. The, the architecturally, maybe it would have been more. Well, I'm also thinking about the big monster in the city, you know, LA mm. is not, mm. you know, if you're going to go for kind of historically, if you get a big monster movie, they don't normally yeah. go to LA. 
they tend to they tend to go to New York for you know mm. a multitude of reasons because they've got more iconic buildings to to climb up. Um, but I, I wonder if it would have probably it was budget, definitely budgetary reasons though because I think New York at that time would have been extremely expensive to shoot. Well, I think um, since this was like 1990, around the same time, you've got uh, Do the Right Thing being like the most incredible kind of portrayal of uh, what happens in New York when it becomes hot. Because the thing is, LA is always hot. So uh, it's it's not an anomaly mm-hmm. for it to be, you know, uh, it's, it's a heat wave, but it's, um, uh, whereas New York as a city has has these big temperature fluctuations and the whole point of Do the Right Thing is like, you know, that it's this uncomfortable heat. And I also thought that, that do the right thing had an amazing like visual way of, of selling that. And uh, yeah, you've got like the, like the melting tarmac, you've got the kind of, you can get the little heat rise coming off it, but um, probably it was just the case of you couldn't count on New York being hot. And if it wasn't, it would probably be very difficult to fake it. I would have thought. There's a lot of spray in the behind the scenes. I think it's Maria Conchita Alonso. She's getting sprayed down with like mm. the, the sweat gloss. I think they just did that to everyone. It's really effective. It kind of helps yeah. sell this concept of it being The first time we meet Jerry, he has the biggest sweat patches under his arms <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. But I think, like, Gally, I, I kind of get the premise to take it out of the location that we, the audience, know. And to bring it into somewhere else, I just I don't know whether LA was used well enough as a character itself as the location. I don't think know whether they used it to its full. It's um, not very landmark, potential. is it? It's not much of not no, much of an LA film. The streets we go back to the same scene of the crime several times, and we're kind of you know in a little bit claustrophobic. We're in rooms, we're in subway, we're in slaughterhouse. Whereas the outdoors of Predator, that kind of element of the Predator's to free Rome is kind of lost you know like LA's got got it's by the sea it's got um Griffith Park and the Hollywood sign and all of this and you know they've got massive freeways that are iconic to LA and we I, I think the budget limit that would have been great so you run run yeah. down the, the yeah. freeway Doing like like the opening sequence of La La Land except with murder <laughs> yeah <laughs> running across the tops of cars imagine him going down Hollywood great. Boulevard and someone yeah. tries to sell him a, a knockoff CD. Like, I've just wrote this. Dead. Predator killed. Boom. You're gone. Or Want some some, some Jack Jack some Jack Sparrow uh, impersonator trying to get a photo. Predator killed. Dead. <laughs> gone. Yeah. Blood splatter on somebody's uh, Hollywood star. Possibly even Schwarzenegger. But my, my point is that you said budgetary. And I think we are seeing the limitations of that. I think when the Predators buy the gargoyle and on the... You know, that's... Uh, they feel like builds and it's nice to see those builds and that imagery is kind of what I wanted more of on top of the buildings, the lightning striking down kind of for no reason, but it looks cool and it's standing atop. <laughs> Best shot in the movie, of, I think. Yeah. Makes when it's sense, standing atop it. of things and looking down, I think it's kind of at its most um, striking. Even when, um, uh, who's the coked up one at the beginning? El, um, El Scorpio. El Scorpio. When he kills him and looks down, <laughs> where, um, he's on the roof and there's a little element of Danny Glover's, uh, Harrigan is afraid of heights or something, but it's never yeah. repeated, which couple is couple of things true. that he doesn't like, birds and heights. Mm. God damn yeah. birds. <laughs> <laughs> but I see, I see why the film is made though. I think, um, 
we, we did we touched upon like Predator not being a huge success at the time, but it's an action action movie time of Hollywood, right? And there's a a, a monster creature feature that is kind of popular amongst people. I think it's still a bankable thing and. They obviously wanted to explore more, didn't they? 20th Century Fox, was it? The other reason as well, Patrick, was um, Dark Horse had just released their comics and they'd released one called Concrete Jungle, um, which was that this film was loosely, loosely based on where they had the Dutch's brother hunting the predator because Dutch has gone mad. Which was an excuse to draw him as Arnold, but have it not be Arnold. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but that comic was very, very successful. So uh, this was, this is a a kind of a very, very small case of another medium being very popular and then green light and a movie off the back of it. So the idea of, of Predator in the City, I totally get. I just feel like with LA, I think noir when I think of LA and I'm just not sure that they fully, well, they definitely don't lean into noir. But I'm not sure they, like you said, Patrick, they fully utilise the city um, with the Predator as a backdrop. In the end, it becomes an excuse for mayhem that kind of gets dropped uh, about an hour into the movie. I don't, I don't know what the tensions were like in LA at the time. And the LA riots were two years later, '92. But at least the LA has a real diverse cultural uh, landscape that the film does go some way, not, not. Uh... Always, it uses it. Not but, it uses it. <laughs> but at least, yeah. at least there's something to tap into there for, I don't know, some sort of interest. Mm. You mentioned on the earlier one, Gally, you thought it could have been, or, or maybe it was Dev, uh, it could have been more like the Warriors if it was in New York. It could have had that kind of a vibe. Yeah. It was when we were talking about the, the composition of the gangs that I thought, like, considering it is, they aren't exactly going subtle with this one. So, I mean, to be fair, they don't go subtle here. In the, in the depiction of the gangs, but, you know, maybe we could have had something a little more colorful and a little comic booky. I know that the, um, the gangs that they do end up with, especially the Jamaican gang have a, a very strong aesthetic. I, I know it's like stereotypical, but do you not think just purely, I mean, color is a, an awkward word mm. to use, but when you're watching something visually, yeah. to differentiate these two gangs very clearly, it mm-hmm. may not be subtle. But yeah. at least we're we're very sure of which gang is which. We are, which is why it's a, a little bit odd when you get the third gang on the metro or the subway that feel like right. they're the local. But they're not like a gang; they're just a bunch of hoodlums. It's a bit Streets of Rage. Whereas it would have been not to say that every gang would be Jamaican or Colombian because that the film already is in problematic territory. But it felt like there is another gang. So really, you know, hell a as a as a hellscape as as patrick said dante's mm. inferno is what we're trying to get towards but we've only really seen two separate gangs two separate gangs that we've never seen fight each other which again seemed a bit odd they only yeah. ever fight the police um mm. for all of their rivalry mm. you know obviously there is a hanging and a gratuitous beaver shop but apart from that <laughs> they never really interact tony Pope, live with hardcore i haven't seen it in your face it's like Dante's hell down here. Smoke, fire, oppressive heat, as Colombian and Jamaican drug fiends once again transform the streets of L.A. into a slaughterhouse. Who the hell's in charge down here? The cops? Uh-uh. They're outmanned, outgunned, and incompetent. Mr. Mayor, on vacation in your home in Lake Tahoe, get off your butt, get down here, and declare martial law! Uh, it's Jim and John Thomas returning again. And Joel Silver is like the lethal weapon Danny Glover connection and the Mark Gordon factor too. 
uh, but I think the the Arnie thing um, from the commentary, I tried to figure it out, and it sounds like Arnold and Danny Glover were set to do it together. They were supposed to be a, a duo as as Dutch returning, Arnold returning as Dutch, and then Harrigan as the new character. But Arnold was set up to do Terminator Two. And apparently in a new interview, Hopkins even confirmed that James, uh, James Cameron contacted him because they were friends. And they said, and he said, I don't really want Arnold to, to do this because it's going to be two sequels at the same time. And it could take away from, from Terminator 2 that he'd been working on for a long, a long time. Apparently it was going to start with this helicopter shot on a golf course and it was going to be this white haired man. And then he was going to turn around and it was going to be Arnold with a white kind of beard and, and white hair. And uh, that was him returning as Dutch because there's another kind of rumor that he was going to be the Peter Keys character. Yeah. yeah. But according to Hopkins, that was never the case. He was always going to return as, as Dutch. And it was up until um, the pre-production point. So they were actually scrabbling around to sort of fix it. Well, the other thing as well with Arnold is... Um... He's about to shift gears into a completely new direction, including in Terminator 2, which is it's the friendly, cuddly Arnold who's, you know, kindergarten cup, <laughs> twins. Yeah, same year. Like this yeah. movie, this movie is a, would be a right outlier in the next mm. three or four picture run that he's about to do, uh, ending mm-hmm. with sort of true lies where he's kind of winking at the camera and he's playing on, on his action persona, but he's not in hardcore action and this 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 movie for whatever we think of it is not for the kids even though we all watched it for the kids and i would imagine parents would be shocked and appalled if their kids saw this at like the ripe age of eight well the danny glover thing uh, we we were wondering how danny glover ends up in a film like this but if you consider that it was originally going to be him and arnold as a two-hander yeah but he he has had he'd already done lethal weapon 2 at this point so i can't like I understand that it's not too bothersome that he'd be cast in something like this, but it feels an unusual choice, but mainly because of his age, not really. They said they struggled with him being African-American to, to push that through as the sole protagonist. I think, I think the studio was cool with him and Arnold together as a duo, but once Arnold drops out, I think that's when they became concerned. Uh, Swayze was in the running and uh, Hopkins had to meet with Steven Seagal to talk him out of doing the film Brilliant. because there's the possibility that he was going to be sloughing his way around it. I don't think being lazy. I couldn't imagine Predator and Seagal having a fist fight like a judo chop, like yeah. <laughs> judo flip. Yeah. It's um, I, that that is kind of understandably depressing. Nineteen ninety <laughs> producer shenanigans, isn't it? This idea of like, mm. well, you know, it was fine when there was a white guy in it. But now that there's a, right. um, an African American solely for me, this feels like a, a real hodgepodge. You know, they're trying to pull from other films. I mean, the Maria Conchito Alonso. The theory is she was in Running Man with Arnold. I just I can't think of any other reason other than they yeah. were like, well, we like Vasquez and Aliens. We can't get her. She's doing Terminator Two. Who's Latino who could also do a Vasquez type? Because that kind of yeah. you know, I'm not I'm not being insulting. I, to me, that's what it reads as. And Bill Paxton's yeah. like, well, he's he's not in Terminator 2. Cool. Well, uh, he was in Aliens. We'll get him in this. But in in terms of the web of like characters that we get 
and we get them established um what i realized from from this most recent rewatch is just um it's very very unclear and very tangled that we have like um harrigan and then we've got danny boy his uh, trusted best friend and then you've got maria conchita alonso as the third wheel and then bill paxton comes in and changes the dynamic again but a dynamic that we haven't really had established for us to any great extent apart from harrigan's the hero the like the the old the leader of them the 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 john wayne harrigan's supposed to be more like the riggs character from lethal weapon which mm. is you know an angry cop on the edge and then he's partnered with another maverick cop except that the only maverick thing about him is that he's got a bunch of really shit jokes <laughs> and he's very annoying to be he around. got his partner killed that they do try and um he's supposed to be a hero cop but his antics got his partner killed that's the only thing i can think to kind of oh, tie okay. him tie mm. him down but i suppose that i i noted that if you remove danny glover it becomes more generic so there's this mm. weird thing where a film has been written with arnold in mind and then all of a sudden he's not there so you've got this oddity now because you, you you're really rushing to make something work as opposed to it being an ideal situation so that's what kind of makes it interesting and it is diverse um you know uh it's it's a fascinating piece of casting, really. It's just bizarre, and it sort of separates something from being generic. I kind of like the casting, though. I kind of like I like the casting because this it would be very easy to have tied like Maria Conchita Alonso into the Colombian gang and to make the c- comparison that you know they're they're South Americans, she's South American, and then Danny Boy and where he's from, but they're not. They're just cast as characters. So, which is kind of a progressive thing at the time, really. They're not the stereotype of their, their background and what, well, apart from Bill Paxton, to be honest, like the wide white boy. But I quite, I, I don't mind the casting from that. I just, it's, it's hard to know what you know and think, well, maybe this is all they could afford at the time, which is. I, I don't think she's very good though. I, I think the, her performance is. I'm not saying about like, acting ability just, I'm just you're saying talking about the, the diversity yeah but also like it doesn't seem a diverse casting based on at the time you know you, well it, here's the other end of the spectrum of the film we're casting jamaicans to be jamaican well excuse me african-americans to play jamaicans they're putting on these thick accents they're full of stereotypes they're smoking ganja the biggest fucking um cigarettes well doobies i've ever seen and they roll up in a car full of smoke and it, it you know it's really bad but then you've got um oh who, who's returning for his uh is it his second film now uh ruben ruben blades ruben... after uh color of night stephen yes. hopkins pronounces it ruben blades blades i've never heard yeah well the accents so... the accents over the e and ruben so ruben blades i don't, ruben I don't know blades. but he you He's know singer he, Look at him in Color of Night, and he's a bit of a stereotype when we go to that party mm. in that film. And here, he he's a character. He He's a character that's just cast as an interesting face to play a role. And Alonso is the same. We, we're not going down that route. It's just, that that's great, Galley. But then you've got <laughs> El Scorpio and Big Willy, which <laughs> is... Big Willy. And I, I was watching it this time yesterday and thinking with all the Jamaicans, with all the, they've got big, um, big hair 
And I wondered if they were trying to make some sort of comparison to the aesthetic of the Predator. Well, it was a criticism, wasn't it? We remember when we did the Predator, we talked in Critics Corner that uh, I think they talked about the dreadlocks being a potentially cloaked in some kind of, you know, cultural appropriation. I don't know. I don't know if the movie is actually doing that. I think. Um, I think you look at the era. You look at LA, and it's set in the future, which blink and you miss it and i just think it's to avoid actually getting into the real gang culture that is was going on at the time which was through the is it the bloods and the cribs you know they don't want to do that they want the predator actually getting into real world gangs so they've just created these kind of car- saturday afternoon cartoon gangs and that's easier and at the t- and again at the time this would fly like you could just do jamaicans as well what do we know about jamaica big hair Big doobies. I can't believe you said doobie. I was going to do a road trip gag. But, you know, they, they, they lean heavily into it. The Colombian stuff is straight out of Scarface. I mean, the guy, when he's yeah. hanging up there, it's like, I'll give you a million dollars. He grabs the Coke and he just smashes it into his face. <laughs> well, then he starts, he starts powering up like a computer game. I like the guy that puts the Coke on his wound as well. He just grabs a handful of it and puts oh it on his shoulder. God. But the other computer thing is that Harrigan's got a captain and then there's another captain so we've got Captain Pilgrim who's just some guy who seems pretty useless and then we've got Darby my favourite one uh, line from him was uh, you let me down Mike you're making me look bad. Daddy Glover, the shouting, the amount of shouting. It is very shouting. The amount of panting from him as well. He just seems knackered. Phil, this is quite a surprise. What brings you down from the palace? You let me down, Mike. You're making me look bad. I thought we had an understanding. I put my ass on the line to get you here. And all I expect is a little cooperation. Now you were told that this was a federal matter. Yet you disobeyed a direct order to stay out of the building. Don't let this get out, Phil, but it's a fucking war down here. You're a Eleven patrol cars, city bus destroyed by Harrigan. Yeah. What's his rap sheet, Gally? What's the what's the stuff he's done? According to his latest medical, he has forty percent more more aggressive <laughs> than the average yeah. human being. I so. love that they have to do that in the um in the the future font as well. Like the, all the computer <laughs> yeah. layout is all in the same font that we use for our logo. Uh, I sent you the picture, it's, didn't I? Forty percent. That is exponential to that's, the normal human rage. being. But what? Because there's a there's a scene, right? You know, when when he has that um to and fro with Robert Darby. They just yeah. end it with him going, fuck! And it's like, you're our hero. You're losing control because you've just been told that you've just, you, you have just broken the law by going mm. in mm-hmm. when you shouldn't have. And you've, you know, there's one cop that's yeah. definitely dead because of you. It's not very consistent, is it? Because when he's, when he's in the captain's office, he shine, you know, he polishes that name as a little piss take and it, you know, he's more in control of his actions there and it just doesn't add up with his character throughout the film. But I, I also don't understand why the predator would then single him out as the alpha. You know, we talked about rigs and I, I said offline to Devlin, like how I would have gone with it is okay. You've got Arnold. He's massive. You're never going to substitute an Arnold type. So go the other way. Swayze. 
Point break. I think Swayze would have been a good one. And you go for a character that, that wants to die. Oh, so you're going lethal weapon now. You're going full lethal weapon. That might give him the edge over a predator because he has the, the death wish or he, he Yeah, he's got the death wish. But instead they, they, they hang this vengeance plot whereby his best mate, who we barely seen, and actually he seems to care more about Jerry than his partner Leona when he's like, Jerry, Jerry. Oh, Leona, you're all right. Good. Where's Jerry? It's like you've known Jerry for two seconds, like literally in, in, like real movie terms, mm-hmm. you barely known him, but they feel like they've had a, a good rapport, and Leona's just been, you know, hanging out with a good old haircut. That's it. it it's just it. It all feels very confused. The first hour of this movie, the police procedural genre stuff, just feels like a real mess. It doesn't become a predator movie until our mate Gary Busey turns up proper. Well, here's the thing: I had like I, I actually quite enjoy being thrown into the the chaos of the beginning the, the, the opening, opening gunfire gunfight is really good isn't it oh yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. good it looks good and it's quite engaging and i like when he drives you, you matt likes his introductions and who do we have on speed speed you know, was crash. good and this uh, this is great too i quite like him just <laughs> smashes through but then you know he does the speed knock off the door and then drives out while he's leaning out of the car Something quite cool about all of that, and I, I'm quite into it at the beginning of the film. I, I don't think I d- it did recall RoboCop for me and all these journalists and news reports, but it just didn't seem to be done. There's glimpses of the satire of RoboCop. I don't think it's done as well. Times. I stole a lot yeah. of it for the story time because it kind of helped me introduce the film. But what? talking of not being a predator film, Gally, I I was kind of disappointed in their use of the predator when El Scorpio dies. Because the predator would shoot Harrigan, surely. We, we've learned, and like, why wouldn't he? He's armed. He's pointing a gun at him. There you go, bang. He he's hunted him down. He's got the drop on him. Kill him. I, I think it was one of the um, Thomas brothers, Jim or John. I don't know which one is which, but uh, he said uh, he described him as a dilettante hunter, which I had to Google because <laughs> yeah. I'm an idiot. And uh, th- this is the um, definition. Uh, so consider the predator through this uh, a person who takes up an art activity or subject merely for amusement especially in a desultory or superficial way a dabbler uh, someone without serious intentions who pretends to have knowledge uh, a person who cultivates an interest without really committing or learning anything and then i saw the predator through his eyes for a moment where he he's he's almost like these idiot businessmen that go and kill Right. Uh, lions, you know, and they have this great advantage, uh, and there's really no sport to it, no sport. <laughs> but he he still does it, and he's doing it for pleasure. And but he's but the predator isn't perhaps as smart as we as we make him out to be. And I read it that he was quite a young, and naive predator. Oh no, Patrick! Don't you dare step into the fan there's theory. The theory. <laughs> Extended universe, man. No, I just meant like his characteristics. His characteristics mm. felt like less mature than the original Predator. It does. It becomes a bit simplistic to he's the juvenile one and therefore, you know, dot, mm. dot, dot. But uh, I, I see exactly what people are talking about when they refer to that. And, and especially after hearing them use the word dilettante. I don't really think that makes for an amazing characteristic for your, uh, your unbeatable intergalactic antagonist, though, right? <laughs> especially considering he's nonverbal and you have to just intuit this from 
context mm. clues. And this is the problem they have is that every time they intuit something about the predator's behavior is somebody just pulling it out of their ass. The, 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 the yeah. revelation in the first film where Arnie realizes that it's, if you're armed, you'll be killed. It's, it's still a bit of a light bulb moment, but it's, mm. it's the only one that happens throughout the film. So you kind of, you can go along with them on it. This film is just full of, and, and it's the problem we have with how long they spend on this uh, investigation and all these characters running around not knowing what they're dealing with. It's like, well, we as an audience already know what we're dealing with. So it's not, it's not dramatic irony. It's just a bit dull watching people work out shit that we already know. That doesn't bother me at all. Like, cause okay. you said that on the original part and it, it, the characters don't know. It doesn't mm. matter if we know. We're watching these people try and figure it out. If the characters are interesting enough, then, then that works i think the issue would be that we we're not completely engaged with the characters that we're that we're being shown that's my point as well matt it's like you know in the first one you know i can keep watching that movie over and over again knowing what's going to happen because i enjoy spending time with those characters in this movie i mean i'm laughing i'm laughing along at the movie i'm not necessarily laughing with it though are you as emotionally hurt when uh, a character dies like uh, blaine dies in the first are you no not not at like all that? and and that is that is a real indictment when you've got bill paxton who is always you know i'm gonna ride a ride or die with bill any any mm. you know i've watched him chase storms you know i think he's one of those people that immediately as an empathy machine i'm on board but in this movie i couldn't really care less um, partly because they really turned him into quite an annoying character. I have a theory on why he's so annoying. Uh, I, I think maybe he ADR'd all of his lines in one afternoon because they yeah. all sound exactly the same. Almost everyone is ADR'd here. Like Harrigan. Yeah, Harrigan's saying completely different things in, in the, in the scene as to what's been dubbed on. And I know it happens in every movie and it's essential if there's a noisy. I think uh, the sound's scene. not very good in this film though, Matt. Like this sound, mm. uh, um, Seems a bit hurried. The mix and the yeah. design don't don't always work at all. The ADR is quite weak. So I go in for my physical, right? And the doctor says, I need a semen, stool, and urine sample. I say, gee, doc, I'm in a big hurry. Can I just leave my underwear? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of just off... off. Danny Glover says some really weird stuff. When he's hanging on that building and talking to himself, and we've talked about characters, yeah. you know, how important it is to, to understand if a character talks to themselves, what that means... But he mm. sounds like he's literally lost his mind. He's like, I could fall. Mm. I'd be better if I fell. <laughs> <laughs> you see, McTiernan wouldn't be scared to leave that yeah. um, silent. You discussed this, the idea of a silent movie and Predator at the beginning and mostly the end of the first film. But um, here, I think the, there's too much fear to have a silent scene. And he's just nattering away. And it, these, these incessant monologues bothered me. Mm. Um, well, he does it. He does it at the beginning when he's like, Oh god, I gotta get down here. Oh man. Yeah. I need a burrito. It's like, what, did he just say he needs a burrito? It's like, what are you talking about? What is he going on about? But as you say, when the inconsistency with the predator, but also the inconsistency with the world, you know, so if mm. we are in this kind of lawless LA, but the police have seemingly kind of on top of it. And, and this is where you get, you know, Patrick, you said Robocop. I got a lot of Robocop vibes, but without the wit, without the kind of, the mm. humor. I think it thinks it's being playful and humorous and satirical. You know, the, the hardcore yeah. Tony Pope stuff feels like it, it's, it's being really yeah. 
pointed, but it isn't. It's sort of annoying. That there's a moment where the subway gang, where everyone pulls out their weapons, that f- and everyone on the subway, even the grandmas, pull out their their weapons, and then all the Tony Pope stuff, and that that felt very uh, Robocop two as well, which was happening around around the same time, but it it didn't feel like they fully went for it, but it was like an attempt to be satirical rather than a fully fleshed out thing. A bit like Robocop 2, is the movie just a touch, not mean-spirited, but I just don't know, I don't really have a laugh with it. So that first hour when we're in this police procedural, I don't know if it wants us to be like a hard-boiled cop drama. You know, we talked about Mm. in the original Predator that they blend the genres. You know, we start off in Commando. We we then go into a bit where we completely disregard their weaponry and all their power. And then it turns into a silent movie, uh, almost like an opera, Mano versus Mano. In this, we have this hard-boiled cop drama. But I don't think they got their timestamps right because Commando, Mm. Commando 2 in Predator stops at about 30 minutes. We are in this police procedural for about an hour before Gary Busey reveals, as Devlin said, not terribly dramatic when we already know it's a fucking alien. There's there's a there's a version you could do. It's possibly... I, I think it's just that it would have been really difficult to write and I don't think they could be fucked. But there's a version of this where you could have, like, uh, people being killed around the city, which is what they're going for, um, and that maybe the, the murders of these gangland types inflame the tensions between the two gangs but instead we're dropped into it where it's already all happening but maybe you know maybe the predator turning up killing some gang members inflames a turf war which then embroils danny glover and it's during that investigation that he starts to realize that things are off but it it just doesn't play out quite right and i do think that it is just a case of it's hard to write a smart script that's pretending to be dumb and the first film did it tremendously well. And I don't think the second one is smart enough to outsmart itself. It also feels like it was cut to cut to ribbons. The the only editing that I I could see that they did was uh, he resubmitted, I think, 18 times uh, to get it to an R from an NC-17. Okay. And I managed to solve the problem of the death of Busey, which you referenced in your early episode, where Busey is cut in half below the waist with a with yep. the predator discus oh, yeah. and you see his legs fall but you don't see the body you don't the reason you don't see the top of the torso is because all of his intestines fell out and it was extremely gory mm. yeah i was really disappointed we cut away from there because that the blood drop is quite like they wow, could have cut sooner and then it would have made sense that we don't see anything, but they linger mm. for too long for some mysterious reason and nothing, nothing The legs falls. drop all the way to the ground. Patrick, how did you, what did you think about the kills? Because, you know, we have a gratuitous, uh, fanny shot. Yet. It's not that gratuitous. She's, it's not like a close up. Close enough for me. Close enough when I was eight. I thought, like, look. <laughs> <laughs> she, she is fucking riding him in that scene, isn't she? My oh, God. that, now that, now there is Stephen Hopkins using editing to his advantage. I love, I love the, the jump cutting in. It's so, it's that, that is wonderful. Masterful. We talked about Cheltenham earlier. She was fucking trying to win the races there. At, at film school where they tell you not to use jump cuts, they should show that scene as a way of illustrating how effective they can be. That's that's a perfect blend of uh, image and sound, I would say. To me, this is cinema. (laughs) Welcome to the war. Ah! 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 
we haven't really talked about Gary Boosie. He's in the background constantly. At one point, he's walking around with a folder that says, this is really secret. And then Danny Glover grabs him <laughs> and pushes it. It literally says, like, secret file on the file, which yeah. is, you know, brilliant. <laughs> That character is supposed to be on the periphery. I know, I know we're going outside the canon of, of this particular film, but the comic, I think it's in the comic, Agent Peter Keyes was the one who originally sent them, sent them to the jungle in the first one. He's okay. been tracking this thing. So uh, he's the Burke, right, again. Exactly, he's the Burke, uh, who, who will do anything to snare this, this creature and, and, and crew expendable. So, um, there was a thing with Busey, here he was like in this really evangelical phase of his life because he just had his big motorcycle crash where he died for like three three minutes and uh, he came back with this kind of arrogant knowledge of what happens beyond beyond death and he'd tell people these these tales of heaven and what he'd seen and it was it's very hard to shut him up um on on the the b-roll uh the, the behind the scenes stuff he's 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 let loose. He's going on and on. I loved um uh when he's when he's doing his uh his his uh head to head interviews, his talking head interviews, and they're asking him about the film, and he starts just rambling about like, and I know it's an alien, and I, and I've seen it, and it's you you can't really be sure. Are you talk? Are you Gary Busey now, or are you Peter right. Keys? He keeps. Yeah, like, I believe Gary Busey thinks the alien is real. At, yes, at that point. he's <laughs> sliding back and forth, and he's just he's making up stuff. Like he's literally like he's inventing things whole cloth of what he thinks might or might not be going on, but it was he's saying it with such absolute certainty. It's like, um, do you ever hear that uh, that that Kevin Smith anecdote where he talks about going to meet Prince and that Prince was yeah. going to hire him to make yeah. a documentary and he says and Prince is sitting me down, and he's telling me that he really loved Dogma and I'm like, holy shit, this is the greatest moment of my life. And then Prince starts talking about things that happened and I'm like, none of that happened in my film. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just internalized it all. Prince yeah. just made up a film that he wow. thought was more interesting. That's Gary Boosie's life. I guess you're wondering what we're doing here in these barbecue outfits. Well, it's easy. We're going in after another world life force from another galaxy that has a self-defense mechanism that we don't understand. It's intangible to this time and space. It's actually from the theory of relativity and from the theory of quantum mechanics. Take those properties and equalize them, and you have the quantum theory of gravity which is the discussion of how this universe started and how it will end. The Predator knows that information already. It is our job and our objective to go capture the Predator, sit him down, have a talk with him, find out why he does what he does, how he does what he does, and where he gets the weaponry and the defense mechanisms he uses in order to obtain his goal. And that is our goal. If we don't achieve that goal, we will be turned into vapor clouds made of small, pink particles known on earth as blood Devlin, i i I loved it when you said that busey was (laughs) using his new gnashes to chew up the scenery (laughs) (laughs) he's eating that tinfoil set (laughs) he is he's a welcome addition though for me he's a welcome addition because as a presence I, i think daddy glover i've mentioned it before i think he's a really good actor in the right role, but this isn't the right role for him. And it's got nothing to do with, you know, could he lead an action movie? But this characterization just does not fit with what we're watching. And, you know, the costume department do not help. We've been making fun of his big, big trousers, but. Baggy trousers. He's drowning it. <laughs> Slut he's drowning. 
You know, that bit where he uh, where he's on the building and he thinks he's going to fall. Just fall. You'll land softly. Those clothes will just act as a <laughs> parachute. <laughs> 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 yeah. just flying squirrel. There's a, lots of inconsistencies. As I say, the, the, the predator toying with his, with his food. The predator eating beef, which... I guess we never mm. established what he does eat, but I always assumed that he ate us. Meat back in district. Taste for beef. He's got a taste for beef. <laughs> Eva went on about this. Like we don't, we don't find anything else about, uh, out about the predator. Like I don't want to know what he eats. We've talked about like the aliens mm. when they started getting a bit too vocal with, with, with each other. The aliens are figuring things out and having a chat mm. like gremlins. And this, I think they take this far enough without going. Without going too far, we see the interior of the spaceship. We we see some new weapons. Uh, he does his wound fixing again with that weird blue. Mm, that's he's got cool. a weird blue liquid this time. I like yeah, that. I like that. You mentioned something there, Matt, that reminded me of the first one. You remember how I said in the first one there was a scene where they have a they have a duke out on the spaceship, and McTiernan thought it would be goofy, so he cut he it called out. It a yucky concept. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How interesting that it then makes it into the sequel. And though it's fun, it feeds into my tonal imbalance as well. Because at the, at the start of the movie, we are propping up this predator as like, again, the ultimate hunter. And then throughout the movie, we seem to be making it like taking away some of that power. By the end, when we've got old woman skits, it's like, are we meant mm. to be afraid or are we having a rollicking good time? That when... is Harry and the Hendersons. The way he walks in that scene, it's just Harry yeah. and the Hendersons. That's a, Harry and the Hendersons gag. Even when he falls off the pipe and, f- and crashes in, I mean, that is like, yuck, yuck, yuck. That is supposed to be kind of funny. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah. oh, I- I'm surprised they didn't do an ADR line of him going like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, just crashing <laughs> into the wall. And right. then smacking his head off a toilet. <laughs> smacking his head off a toilet. It's just like, wait a minute. Are we in the brutal, hard-boiled cult drama or are we now in, you know, Looney Tunes, and it is Looney Tunes, including Harrigan's mission to the spaceship, which also is full cartoon. Uh, it, it's an interesting design, but then as soon as you get into that, you think, well, what are they doing? Like, are they playing like Predator mm-hmm. chess? Are they, is, have they got like a telly? <laughs> you can only shine a... a skull for so long. Better to not see that, just keep that on the periphery, and then just it, as much as the audience wants to consider that, they go, oh, I wonder. That's interesting. But as soon as you show it, uh, we mentioned it in, oh, as far back as Alien. With the with the room with the space jockey, and and the way that destroys the idea of uh, it asks questions in an interesting way, but it's still showing a bit too too much for me. The problem with that scene of the discovery of the spaceship, as well as how quickly it rattles through to it, is that as we mentioned previously, and again, I'm not trying to YouTube cinema sins this one. I just think that it is so egregious that it can't be ignored. The fucking insane geography of why did the predator end up crashing through a bathroom in a building he's potentially never been to before and there's already a hole cut in the bottom of the elevator shaft yeah. which leads directly to the top of his spaceship which then blasts its way out of the city somehow through a weird special tunnel <laughs> like it's the the geography of it makes so little sense that if you were in a film whereby you were kind of already you know uh, films can win a lot of goodwill but because this one's so up and down i have less of a problem of where it is compared to harrigan grabbing onto the the hole <laughs> as he lands yeah. and his arms not be ripped off or anything and he's got the strength to do that <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
I remember the first time I ever watched it when, when I was a kid as well. When I was younger, I remember that being my biggest problem with the film, even then, that he, yeah, he did that. This stuff happens though. I was watching, uh, The Lost World the other day and there's a scene where they, they, the Spielberg one and they, they fight the raptors and it's clear they don't know how to get out of the scene. So Julianne Moore sort of does a forward roll and falls out of a window and then all of a sudden they're in a new location. It's like even someone like Spielberg can fall foul of it, but, um, it, it just, it just doesn't. It's not set up, but it, but it moves quickly enough that you go with it, especially as a kid. But now you can you can see the problem. It just doesn't chime with the rest of the movie either. When we've had this, as mm. I say, hard boiled kind of gang warfare drama thriller, drugs and feds, and then all of a sudden, as I say, when the bit where I knew that the tone was really starting to come loose was when they're hanging on the side of the building. That should never happen in a Predator movie where the Predator is like hanging on, his eyes all mm. bulbous. You know, that's a stigma <laughs> that he's had since the age of eight. <laughs> but then when he's trying to, when he's trying to set off the nuke in his arm, he pulls the face like the, in Gremlins 2, the zany gremlin. His eyes yeah, go wacky. really boggle-eyed when he's like, oh, he's going to chop my arm off. It's like, whoop! <laughs> the villain has been neutered somewhat i would say yeah we said it in alien at some point they become uh he's not been ridiculed but every time he makes a mistake or every time you know he goes down in the audience's estimation and already we've got the dilettante hunter that Mm. that is that is you know an amateur he's making mistakes and and hopkins isn't helping him either there's the shot where he's climbing the building adam west comes to mind it's it's embarrassing because yeah. that's as you say that's supposed to be the oh, imagine the predator on a cityscape climbing a building that would be cool but in 1990 they didn't execute it and shoot it the way that they should have done and it looks like a man not climbing a building in a in an alien suit mm. i'm glad it's not cg though i mean cg would have ruined it that would have gone too far the other way but you're right it's it's too Adam West Batman. It's the the way yeah. he slips, his little hands slip up the thing, which which just shows yes. that it's just a guy on a wire rig being yanked up. And I understand that that suit is going to be... The, the rubber hands are still a problem. Yeah. I think we talked about it in the first one when he's trying to heal himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick was talking about, you know, when he puts the clamp on. But, yeah. um, you know, the same thing happens here. His, his, his hands are a bit too, too rubbery. But physically, it's Kevin Peter Hall returning. I just think physically the whole Predator had... A better stance and a better, uh, I don't know, movement in the first film. In this one, it mm. doesn't feel quite so imposing. It feels more, yeah. I don't know, human. Lost and, a lot of the, uh, the gracefulness. Feels like yeah. it's just. It feels like Gimpy Horse has been like left to his own devices in this one. Like, just do mm. this. Go, go A to B, Kevin. And it felt like we were really creating a, a, a character's movement in the first one. Yeah, I wondered if McTiernan just holding back a little bit. And I also think he, he overcranked slightly on a couple of them for the, just the, the motion of the predator. I think yeah. when he's running across some stones after Arnold is covered in mud. Um, and it was an awkward thing to shoot, but he, he did something photographically that made it more acceptable it could be just one director versus another and and one elevating it more than the other but well hopkins has got one one scene that i do think works um certainly when it comes down to giving power to the predator and that's um that's when when he kills king willie 
and we see the water reflection and the predator reveal. I thought that was really good. I, re- I thought that's, that's mm. great. Mm. And, and, and yeah, even yeah. about the smash cut decapitation. Yeah. And, and the visuals yeah. of, of it walking through the water and, and that all felt yeah. kind of imposing. So it seems strange that he would make, he would have that scene and do that and give the, the power the re- and the respect to the, the villain that you want to then go full tilt into, into crazy town smashing through he doesn't give a fuck it's like what mm. are we doing here like she i was expecting it to hit her with the hit the predator with the broom as it ran out i mean that was that was where the scene That's was nora going. batty in uh, yeah. uh last of the summer wine territory <laughs> predator in a bath going down a hill yeah yeah and even even when it takes out uh you know gary Boosie and um the rest of the gang as i say if it was if it was trying to have this mano a mano with glover it seems surprised that Glover turned up at that moment, like, oh, you weren't supposed to come here. I was supposed to enjoy a little bit of beef, tartar, and then I'll kill this team, <laughs> and then I'll get out of town. There's a moment when Harrigan's in the slaughterhouse, and he runs through the hanging, you know, like, rocky beef, and he, it's like he's been asked to hit every piece of it as, as obviously <laughs> as he can. He's like, hit this one, hit that one. It looks so clumsy. One of my favourite Harrigan moments, because this steals from Aliens quite a lot, particularly that sequence that in, in the Meat Locker. There's a bit mm. before where uh, he does a Ripley, where it, they're cut off. You know, we have to go in and rescue them. But the, in the time it takes Harrigan to go out to his car and get all of his guns <laughs> and everything, it cuts back to him three times. Everyone is dead by the time he gets into the Meat Locker. There's only Doesn't... Gary Busey. Who's left uh, alive? He's, he's looking through his guns and he picks one. He's like, "Nah, it's too small." But all the, all the guns are perfectly laid out as well. Like, despite well, he's LCD, it's on his drove, file. Yeah, but he's he's been driving really quick through and crash. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, they're all still so there. Stupid. Yeah, it, you are not going to convince me that this is um, in any way near the first one. It just isn't. Mm. And we haven't talked about the director Stephen Hopkins. And and this is not to sound harsh. But I looked at, you know, look at his filmography. I know him best from 24. He created the 24 TV series, which I really enjoyed for about four oh. seasons. Um, but mm. he, he did Dream Child, the fifth nightmare on Elm Street. And I just wonder if it, it's the start of that studio getting directors who have been successful in music videos or in other, in other kind of forms and just said, well, here's your script. Just make something. Just whatever. Just make it. No, we're not really after high art. And, you know, Devlin, you said that sequels weren't necessarily uh, given the same kind of uh, treatment that they are nowadays, which is, well, we expect to, you know, sort of triple, you know, triple the box office that we did last time. So they just thought, well, everything's gone cheaper, including the person behind the camera. And he's just a gun for hire. Because look at his other films. He did Judgment Night, though. You did like Judgment Night. I do like Judgment Night. I, Judgment Night is uh, is also a very dumb film that's extremely entertaining and with a magnificent soundtrack. His uh, Wikipedia read very honest and and kind of beyond self deprecating and approaching tragically funny. I just want to read a couple of quotes. Uh, he directed Nightmare on Elm Street Five, The Dream Child. Hopkins said, "I went at it like a dog." And had a wild fun time. But when I look back, I think I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I don't understand how all this happened to me. And then he made Predator 2 and he said, I'm pretty immature, really. So that was kind of a laugh. And then Judgment Night, that was a real absolute total bomb. And then uh, on Blown Away, he made a lot of mistakes. 
And then the ghost in the darkness, he said it was a mess and I haven't been able to watch it since. So he gives these little concise quotes of how, what a dreadful job he did and how, how badly the films turned out. I will forgive all of his sins for blown away. When, when I picked that as a bargain bin, Tommy Lee Jones, you too. That's all I have to say. And Jeff Bridges' Iris accent as well. But, but he is, I, 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 I wrote down in my notes, you know, is he Rennie Harlan in disguise or a, a proficient Troy Duffy? I think he's a proficient Troy Duffy, but he clearly knows what he's, I think he clearly technically knows how to make a movie, but I don't know if he knows how to tell a story. And he certainly doesn't know how to helm that thing called tone because blown away does the same thing. It starts off serious, IRA, bombings, and then it's got Jeff Bridges' dad hooked up to a little toy machine bomb. And you're like, wait a minute, this is not. That's the guy from Airplane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't, you know, you picked a bad day to not get tied to a bomb. I, I think Dev said on the, the original one about how Hopkins had a really good eye and he knows how to set up a shot. And I think that's all really clear. Some of it's really cinematic and I mm. do like his setups and lighting, but I don't think we're dealing with a cinephile. He he is like only 28 and it feels wow. like he's maybe okay. seen 10 films yeah, and none of them are particularly highbrow and he... He reminded me of a W.S. and a Paul W.S. Anderson in a way, British mm. via, I think, Australia. Yeah. And he's, Jama- uh, he's handsome Jamaican, guy. Australian British. Is that born, born in Jamaica. I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. Handsome chap, long hair, uh, earring. Hold on. Hold on. He's born in Jamaica. And we've and got he did that. What? <laughs> is he not allowed back in the country or something? But he remembered that when you're doing your voodoo rituals, that you, you bring your coconut and your blood pouch to every ritualistic murder. The guy, whoever plays the main Jamaican with the with the crazy gold trousers, he's brilliant. He's great. When he's like, fucking puta. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. He's just slapping that little red paint on him. Oh, I love it. It's great. Mm-hmm. The, the the commentary was quite revealing because he, he'd say things like, it's a future retro thing. And it was like kind of vague. And then <laughs> yeah. he talked vaguely about Mayan temples and how okay. plastic things were glued on. And I thought like, this doesn't sound like Ridley in Scott. The, in me. the but apartment. Yeah. You've got the, 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 they're like Aztecian, aren't they? Or, yeah, yeah. 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 Is that, um, is that leading to Alien versus Predator? I wonder. Oh God, maybe. I, th- I think the, the, the music and sound, w- w- there is some room to praise it there. Everything Sylvester does is it's terrific. Like I think along with John Williams, he's one of my one of my favorites. Yeah, one slightly strange moment I think with the sound mixing when they're going into the um the warehouse and there was what seems to be quite a big Sylvester cue that just seems to get muted, uh, like as if it's just about to lift up, but then it, it they they mute it because obviously the again maybe this speaks to a, a, a slightly torturous um post production period you know cuts being made late in the game but it's quite early in the film and it's it's kind of considering how prominent Sylvester's score is and how usually well timed out it is there's just it's strange to have a moment where it seems like a, a in the middle of a queue it just kind of somebody mm-hmm. just turns down the volume knob because they need to get on with it Sergeant, are you people in the building no right, let's go oh, oh, can't let you in Adam is on his way here yeah, Adam make you kiss my sweet ass come on god damn it go with him There was a thing, I think it was on the commentary, Hopkins said that Joel Silver showed him the first Predator film during pre-production and he showed him it with no music to illustrate the importance of the Silvestri score. 
So I, I thought that was really interesting that the, the the use of music in general in these kinds of films and how smart that was to recognize how important it was. We've all, I think, made films at at one point or another. And as soon as you put your sound and your music on, it really does like trans transform it, even at our level, like making student films. So on a scale like this, I mean, you, you, the, the main ones you hear about are Jaws and Star Wars, like watching them without their, their scores. And it's just, it's nothing at all. You need, you really need uh, a score to boost it. And in this one, in, in this series of films still has all those Sylvester beats. In fact, it doubles down on, on a lot of them. A bit, a bit odd that he needed to show him Predator. I, I think the point was showing it with no music. I think he'd probably seen it before. Yeah. I'd hope, I'd have, would have hoped so. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, do you want to make the sequel to this film that you've never seen? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure Joel Silver gave a shit. I'm sure he saw how many suitcases of cocaine the prophets bought him and that's all he needed yeah. to see. <laughs> I know I'm likely I'm surprised I didn't check on when I went into the IMDb trivia just for, you know because we like we love trivia on this show that it didn't say real cocaine was used on set <laughs> during the El Scorpio sequence. What do you reckon that actually is? Because I don't think you should be inhaling anything. It's, it's vitamin quantities. Oh, okay. oh, oh, that's why he's because he still looked wired, which would make sense if he's full of vitamin D. Apparently, the, for those scenes like that, it's, it's vitamins they mainly use. Right. Um, I mean, it's still uncomfortable to yeah <laughs> inhale and grind it into your face. Yeah, that, that's the the trick, apparently. Unless unless it is method acting. Is there anything to be said about Predator Two having a bit more of a plot to Predator? I think maybe it's a detriment in that it's not. It doesn't have the kind of the 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 clean kind of very sharp blade of the original plot being so kind of precisely calibrated and i think that the idea of it being in a messier more sprawling open world would be great i just i don't it nothing's wrong with it in concept i just think the execution just doesn't quite live up to what it would need to be and and expanding the plot i think you have to for a sequel you can't go you know mega simplistic you do need slightly you need to show people more you need to show them they haven't something they haven't seen i just think I just, yeah, I don't think they corralled the size of the world that they'd created. It, it seems to expand and contract based on the needs of the story. They drop it, Devlin. That's the thing. That's why I said an hour. You know, you've got an hour of, of, of LA sprawling, Predator having fun, and we're supposed to be kind of going along with it. Like, as you say, we know, we already know he's an alien and he's just killing gang members who we don't really care about, but we're not getting the satisfaction of the gratuitous kills really um and then it just drops it the moment it becomes a mano versus mano pretty much once we have the aliens rip off scene with boosie and the science guys then it becomes a predator movie but that first hour he's not that he's barely in it but he doesn't really factor a great deal as you say they needed to find a way of getting the gang warfare to be escalated through the predator's actions but instead it's just Colombians are getting killed, Jamaicans are getting killed, and one good cop, as Tony Pope would say. The other night, I really enjoyed the subway sequence, just for, they're trying something quite cinematic with the, the lights on and off and ramping up the tension in there, and I did kind of get a kick out of it. The second time, I thought, well, hold on, Bill's shooting into the crowd at this point, which, um, Jerry shooting into the crowd, which didn't really work, but um, I still kind of quite enjoyed it. Um, it 
the, the scene really caught my attention when everyone drew the guns out of the bags. Cause I thought, what the fuck is going on here? This is so random. But, um, I kind of had fun with that scene, that sequence. And I was all interested that the predator, um, <clears throat> didn't harm Alonso cause she's pregnant, which heart back to alien for me. It gives him a bit of a moral code again, because again, we'd, we'd, we've seen it with the kid. So that's where if the, if the, Predators acting inconsistently or different to the first one, fine. But then if we keep saying that there is a morality to he won't kill completely indiscriminately, won't kill the kid because it's a toy gun, won't kill um, Leona because she's got a, I mean, it looked pretty, looked pretty full on as a fetus, um, but, but, you know, wouldn't kill the baby either, then fine. I like the slaughterhouse stuff at the end with the trying to, solve the problem and alter its vision uh, mess with the predator's vision i don't know it just kind of didn't work but yeah you know like things to note there the imagery of the predator on the building more of that please don't know why i get struck by lightning but it looked fucking good mine are identical to yours yeah they're, they're the same uh i like my favorite shot is the predatorial because he's worth it before he gets hit by lightning because he does a flick of his hair in this one which i i quite liked um but i think the opening scene uh is particularly good because it feels very raw and it feels very dangerous i don't know mm. someone with your job patrick looking at a scene like that uh it just looked very chaotic and i think mm. hopkins even said that you couldn't really make a film in that way anymore you just wouldn't be allowed to have helicopters landing like that and uh the, the nature of those stunts it it felt it just felt very dangerous. Crowds beneath helicopters and, and things like that. And even looking at the B-roll, it, it looks borderline unsafe. I don't want to cast any aspersions on on, on the crew, but um, yeah. it feels of another time. Uh, and I don't I don't think action filmmaking is quite there anymore. I, I don't know if this word has been uh, coined before, but hollycoddled, uh, like this idea of Hollywood, like being too careful and clinical with, with it of course human life is more important than how great a, a shot looks at all times but um you know that cg I, I don't think safe cg would ever really compete with some of this this stuff and uh that's i i think i've got the nostalgia goggles on but um i i, I really like that opening scene and the danger of it devlin anything that you didn't hate it's it's always a strange one talking about this film because you end up like being so kind of there are there's just a lot to nitpick which is frustrating for me because i don't like doing it but you can't help but notice it but i do think that there's the reason why i think the reason why I bully it so much is because i love it really i just want it to do better yeah yeah <laughs> so, um the the opening sequence there's an amazing exploding car flip mm. i think that's very very good that's exactly the sort of thing you're talking about it's like We'll yeah. just put a bunch of fucking explosives under a car and see what happens. Yeah. And it looks ace. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the, the moment we talked about before where King Willie is, uh, is confronted with the predator. And I do think that that was, um, one of the times in the film when it was smart, there was an in-universe explanation as to why the predator's reflection was not, uh, masked. Whereas the predator walking down the thing was masked. You saw the sparks coming up, which is, a direct uh, logical link to the way the water affected uh, the cloaking in the first film. And it sets up what's going to happen uh, in the warehouse. Once the sprinklers go off, it's like, this is the kind of setup and payoff that the Thomas brothers were so good at in the first film. And that 
perhaps just because of the chaotic nature of the production they didn't have the time to put a lot of this stuff in it just there was probably there was thought put into elements of it and then other elements not so much but uh there's always going to be moments in films like this of of magic and that's the stuff that you stick with the you know and i think that's probably why we all loved it so much when we were young right there's there's enough in there that's you know the um standing atop the the tower with the lightning it's just it's a cool thing to see for uh for a kid favorite scene for me would be i think it even though it's ridiculous i mean it starts with an orgasm and ends with a red flashing light so i'm gonna go with the i'm gonna go with the the predator inexplicably taking out a bunch of hoodlums in a colombian house only if only because what a way to start a scene you know grab what a, a you know it's all about introducing your characters well that that drug lord you know if you're gonna go out you go out hard that's what i say so <laughs> but no, in all seriousness i do think the opening action sequence with some of the slow motion and some of the stunts is is actually really quite effective favorite scenes were a little bit lackluster there weren't they but um <laughs> let's see let's see if any uh critics on critics corner had any favorite scenes hey. was this one featured on at the movies it was uh siskel and ebert um a high-tech thriller that does its job um this is still roger i think um he observed that there's always a fed in the know who tries to warn the cop away from the case and uh but then there was this suggestion that ebert wanted to know more about the predator what he wanted to know exactly i'm not sure um the predator has the same taste and personality as freddy krueger or any other slasher villain he observed and he lamented that he's from outer space uh, and we should be learning more about his culture i think yeah roger wanted to know more about the creature and more about the culture and that never really bothered me he wanted less violence and more of a vision of science fiction uh he observed it's it's got elaborate special effects and it was very expensive. He did not appreciate the vile language, uh, which was insulting to women, which he hates. So, <laughs> so Brenton. They said it wasn't a pleasant film. I think Siskel echoed a lot of the same thoughts. Uh, he observed that Schwarzenegger was more of a compelling action star than Glover, which um, I don't know if it takes a professional critic to point that out, but he did. <laughs> Uh, it's, he called it a pale carbon copy and not a pleasant film. Well, I think we've, um, I think we've danced on the grave of, of, of Big Willie, as Patrick calls him, Big King Willie. <laughs> Big Willie styles all in it. Yeah. Don't miss out the king. Oh, well. Yeah, but that's okay. Well, you, I wouldn't you, have got my questions right in the pop quiz, but let's see how you guys. Do. Yes. Oh. Yes. Okay. Here we go. I'm ready. Oh, can I'm we ready. do a beauty oh. for the uh, the buzzer? What? So, what's your buzzer, Matt? Oysters. <laughs> Leave them on your face. <laughs> I can't remember. I thought you'd have gone with, oh my. <laughs> oh my. Okay, I'll do something busy if I can. When he's shucking oysters, leave some on your face. Let him know. Let him That's know right, yeah. And the leprechauns. Uh, <laughs> oh, Gally, go on. You got yours? Uh, I think mine will be, you got a big nose and you're sticking it in my business. It's a double line of it. <laughs> It's my boosie. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to just go with the classic, a fucking alien. 
if that's okay. <laughs> All right, so just a reminder that Matt is actually winning the pop quiz uh, segment two to one to zero. Gally has won. And let's see how you get on with this. So question one, what is the title of the news broadcast hosted by Tony Pope? A fucking alien. Oh, Devlin. Is it the Pope Report? Huh? Is it the Pope Report? No. Nope. Other world life form. <laughs> Matt. Uh, it's hardcore. Hardcore. Oh, hell, yeah, it is. The Pope Report. What is he talking <laughs> about? <laughs> We're getting on live to the Vatican City. Uh, for question two, what's the full name of Bill Paxton's character? You got a big nose. <laughs> <You're scared about laughs> Detective Jerry Lambert. Hey. Oh, well done. That yeah. was a good one. And, and <laughs> question three, straight from the, this question comes from the Predator ship. How many skulls are there on the wall? I'm proud of you, Adam. Uh, Matt. Uh, seven. Uh, uh. Oh. You got a big nose. <laughs> you stick <it> my <laughs> Nine? No! Uh, a fucking alien. Devlin? <laughs> Fourteen. <laughs> no, none of you get it right. This is the extra draw between Matt and Gally. One point each. The answer is eight. Oh. Oh. Can I ask a bonus question? Go for it. What's the name of the meat packing plant? You got a big nose. <laughs> you just get in my The slaughterhouse. It's a fucking slaughterhouse. The slaughterhouse. What is it, though? It's the Red Wing Meat Packing Company. Ooh, oh, I don't know why that just really stuck Detroit my Red Wing Meat Packing. A last no, exit to nowhere t-shirt waiting to happen. I was just yeah. thinking I might have to uh, knock that up and put it on the T-mill for a, fi- for a yeah. film that we all slagged off. Uh, well played, everyone. That was a draw. Today. Very, very good. Mm. Well, I think, uh, I think we'll go for our final thoughts and our recommendations. I'll start with you, Patrick. Final thoughts on Predator 2. And would you recommend it to our listeners, especially considering the LVRMP catalogue that we're running through? I, I was I was hoping it wasn't me first, um, because we've we have been quite down on this film. But you know, what? I had a bit of a blast watching it. Actually, I quite enjoyed it. It's quite fun and stupid, and I was. I'm still not quite certain if I'm laughing along with it or at it. Probably the latter, but. Um, if I'm if I'm a fan of Taken, I'm you know I'm certainly someone who's going to enjoy this. In how uh, it's kind of absurdity, uh, Harrigan is ridiculous. I think, I think when he tries, <laughs> I do. I think he's. Did you hear him uh, say that Harrigan rhymes with arrogant? That's where it came from. Oh, oh my god, that's even worse. Why did they call him <laughs> aggression? Left-handed aggression. How aggression? Yeah, forty percent. Oh. Who won the, uh, the the Ham Neal Award? Oh, that's a tough one because when you've got Boosie in, in, in the ring, I'd vote it's Paxton. Be... Pa- Paxton's going wild, like he's full Paxton. Off the chart. Well, pa- well, the thing is, full Paxton. I would say just no direction. No, he he starts off like at hundred miles an hour. There's no coming down from it. And I've, I'm always always a big fan of Paxton. Always will be, no matter what he does. Yeah. Um, and I, you know. I wasn't bored throughout the film at all. Um, it entertained me. And there were things in it I like, things I like to look at, things that were shit to look at and mm. um, didn't work at all. But 
But overall, that is a recommendation. If we base it on the LVRMP series and spoilers of what's up and coming, this is probably the second best Predator outing after Predator compared to all the rest of them. Um, he says, we'll, I haven't we'll seen see. all of them. Yeah. I haven't seen all of them, but I'd, I'd put that argument out there now. And so th- there's a recommendation based on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Gally, what, what about you? Uh, so I'm going to leave this for the Predator to summarize my thoughts. Shit happens and shit really does happen in this movie. Um, <laughs> It doesn't, none of it really holds together. Um, mm. I, I, I kind of, it feels like a bit of a meat grinder. Some, you know, the slaughterhouse. Uh, there's lots of different ideas being kind of pulled together. We've got cartoon gangs, we've got, uh, hard boiled cops, and then we throw in this extraterrestrial hunter. Uh, and it's very, it's a very confused beef burger of a movie, I would say. Um, it, not all of it works together, but, in parts, there is some fun to be had, and I I feel like I'm laughing at the movie more than I'm laughing with it. But that's not a bad thing because I had a great time with Species, and someone mentioned Paul W S Anderson. This feels like that territory, and you know what? I miss films like this um, that kind of swing hard and miss because you know I've watched a lot of movies of, of late. And the the one that keeps uh, that I, that stuck with me is um, M Night Shyamalan's Old because it's fucking mad, and I quite like the fact that it's a bit a bit weird and bonkers as opposed to watching kind of very formulaic, almost so heavily scripted and so heavily kind of studio mandated that it 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 loses. I don't know. I guess it loses that art of surprise. This is very surprising. You can go from gratuitous fanny shot to, you know, old lady who doesn't think that she gives a fuck. <laughs> so that is Predator 2. So, yeah, shit happens. It's a mild recommendation, but in no way is that me saying that this is a good movie because it's really not a good movie. But I've seen this now more times than I've seen It's a Wonderful Life. And I watch that every hmm. year and I'm 36. So <laughs> I've seen this film a lot. So it's got to be worth something. What about you, Devlin? I think it's a, a case where, yeah, we come on here and we slander something for <laughs> 90 plus minutes. And then at the end of it, we all say, ah, oh, but we love it really. We just grab mm. it in a little <laughs> headlock and give it a little nuggy and <laughs> tell it we're real proud of it, even though it's shit. It's not shit. It's a competently made, like you say, it's a competently made sausage factory sequel at a time when there was still some room for those films to be weird. This film is weird. It makes weird decisions. And I would always take a weird decision over a safe and competent decision. Um, and it does seem that Stephen Hopkins, you know, while he may not be the, the, the most, um, exacting of directors, he's certainly not going to have the, the accuracy and the, um, he doesn't have that actively flourishes that a McTiernan has. McTiernan obviously calibrates performances a lot better. He composes his scenes a lot better. He constructs his long story arc a lot better. Hopkins is a little less interested in this stuff and a little more interested in letting people kind of go a bit buck wild on a silly film. He understood the assignment. It's a shame that it's not even a shame, really. It's, it's only so stark because it follows such a technically accomplished first film that having a sprawling mess of a second film 
can be seen as a negative whereas the one thing this film is is like super fun to watch and really easy to watch and you can chuck it on virtually at any time it's a bit circuitous and it leaves a lot of space for kind of abstracted violence and like cheap seat gags but you know there's not anything specifically wrong with that it's um and also the the idea of the, these creatures these yaucha having this kind of you know coherent um a world outside of the films and they become like oh so we have to start building the lore the mythos of these creatures and this just goes to show that the people who make the films by and large are using the creatures as a crux as a prop as a a way of getting the story from a to b they're not trying to create a coherent fictional world full of monsters like space hunting monsters they just think they look cool and they want them to do, you know, 90 to 120 minutes of violence and get enough people in the seats to turn a profit. But again, nothing wrong with it. Like it's, it's the perfect kind of B movie and it comes just at the right time in that sort of right at the tail end of the eighties into the nineties where everything was still being done in that marvelously handmade, genuinely dangerous way that that matt was talking about where yeah people could have got hurt making this film glad they didn't but if you're going to make a film like this you do need to have you know the possibility you need to be like a bit thrilled by it so yeah it's a middling film and it's a lesser predator film but it is as patrick says probably the second best one we've got i'm a bit more defensive about it i because i think the 87 predator is a total masterpiece and a sequel was not only inevitable but, you know, something that I really wanted to see. And I was the perfect age for this one. And I couldn't wait to get more. So it's got a lot in the bank with me. And that still colors my my view of it. I, I didn't run through the James Cameron list of sequel rules and did it hit them or not. But I think this does what a lot of good sequels should do. Um, and for all its issues, um, it has the, the feel of a movie. It it's uh you can feel the celluloid in it and it hasn't really been cleaned up too much i don't know how you saw it but there's a lot of dust and grain and um i know they attempted one they were going to do a re-release for the anniversary but the recent i think the shane black predator film flopped uh so much so that they cancelled a reissue of it so apparently hopkins was working on a 70 mil print hopefully it's a longer version i'd love to see the nc17 one out there um, but yeah, films can feel quite sanitized now. And I, I think the, this one is packed with practical action and they really don't, don't make them like this anymore. Um, I think there are exceptional sequels out there like Aliens and T2 and it doesn't fall into that league. Uh, it tries to ape Aliens at times and it never really gets close because there's nothing underpinning anything character wise. The Ripley stuff, the maternal things we talked about in aliens there's nothing there and the, the horror feminist statement of the original alien there's it doesn't get close to to anything like that it is more of a creature feature yeah for all its flaws i return to it quite often um i don't watch it religiously like predator and i won't pretend it's perfect but it's a sequel to one of my favorite films and i i have a lot of time for it because of that and i would say it's underrated well, i'm so looking I'm forward to your cosplay that. of harrigan then I was obviously a massive fan of, of <laughs> yeah, the, the main lead in this one. I'll search around the thrift stores for some giant um, baggy pants. Yeah, just make sure that you don't put them on on a, an especially windy day. 
You'll never come back. <laughs> Devlin, where can our listeners seek out Predator 2, should they wish? Uh, the corporate machinations of the Disney Fox merger have meant that <laughs> Predator 2 is now available on Disney+, Plus. if that's a thing that you have. If you don't, you can rent it from your usual outlets, Amazon Prime, etc. There is a Blu-ray. I don't know uh, how good a blu-ray it is i don't believe i don't know if they're a bit any, grainy bit sparkly uh, yeah any uh any extras up on there uh they're all on youtube in our wonderful uh predator 2 playlist which you can find at rewindmoviecast.com there's some deleted scenes interviews commentaries i just put them all in a, a nice big playlist so if you like the film you'll you'll have some hours of fun there devlin do you want to explain as well our t-mill store you can buy things Head to devlindoesdrawing.tmail.com. The links are all available on Rewind Movie Cast or in the show notes to this very episode that you are listening to. There is a new shirt in there which is based on Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. That means there's now two Faster Pussycat Kill Kill shirts. There's uh, possibly going to be a Red Wing Meatpacking Company shirt. It depends whether I can <laughs> to get that made this week. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, there is um, uh, on Redbubble as well uh which is a ridiculous shop which is also linked on our uh website uh you can get uh arnold schwarzenegger in predator um uh drinks coasters that's the thing i added this week <laughs> amazing can you can we get a t-shirt that says 40 percent above average rage oh absolutely <laughs> aggression sorry not look. rage aggression I'm going to see if Danny I can Glover's get Harrigan's yeah, I'll see if so I can get Harrigan's file. <laughs> on the, the, the screen grab of, yes. of the computer thing. Well, the yeah. key, or what would be even funnier if you just got like a, a, a casting photo of Danny Glover? Just, <laughs> I think that would be funnier. As, as he is now. As he is now, 40% yeah. above average <laughs> aggression. 93 years old. He'd probably buy one. I think he's he's game for that kind of stuff. And maybe if we can get some Glover pants as well, those trousers, we can maybe get Red Bubbles to make some, I mean, triple XL trousers <laughs> that you would wear Voluminous trousers of the alpha male. <laughs> Listeners, we are going to continue our LVRMP series. The next one up is Paul W.S. Anderson's Alien vs. Predator. Uh-oh. Who knows where we'll all land on that one? Um, so look forward to that. If you enjoy what we do on the show, please like, subscribe, pen a little review, spread the gospel team. That's all we ask. If you are like a predator, just parrot what we say. So just say, yeah, the Rewind Movie Podcast. Shit happens, motherfucker. You know, <laughs> that's it. That's all you've got to do. You're right. I'm okay. Yeah. I, it's, it's, those, vi- those vitamins are really kicking in. <laughs> He's been down the Holland and Barrett. <laughs> Okay, so we'll say our goodbyes, team. You've been downtown, pushing fucking pencils behind your goddamn desk. It's Galley in Glasgow, full of vitamins. <laughs> Stay safe, everyone. Nice flashlight. Mind if I borrow it? It's Devlin in London. You're not my sister, are you? It's Patrick in London. I got my rights. I'm a journalist. Harrigan! Harrigan! It's Matt in South Korea. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.